Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to be in Romans chapter 14 in honor of reading the reading of God's Word? You know, the Word of God is living and it is active, right? The Word of God is living and active, and it has the power to transform the lives of those who will have ears to hear and who have hearts that are willing to obey. So this morning, may we, as we hear the Word of God, what I'm about to read has come from God, uh, may we respond appropriately to the Word of God. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14. I'm going to look at verse, uh, start with verse 10, but we plan to go through most of the chapter this morning. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we all, we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us, will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Let's jump down to verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Father, this is your word that you have given to your people for our benefit and your glory. Lord, help us to respond appropriately. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing to look at what it looks like to love one another. Uh, Two or three weeks ago, Pastor Terry preached from chapter 13, Romans 13, verse 8, where we read, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We're looking at what does it look like within the church to love one another, and how do we love one another, listen, when we don't agree about things, when we hold differing convictions within the church body. I remember early in in my marriage, mine and Kelly's marriage, we were a attending a church plant that used to meet at Reynolds, um, the Reynolds Fire Department. And it was a small church plant. The church does not exist anymore, but it was a small, fundamental, King James-only, independent Baptist church plant with yours truly playing the piano. And I'm still who I, I'm, who I am now back then, okay? So if you know anything about... Um, those cultures, my culture is a little bit different, but that's the church that God had put us in. And one Sunday, about after I'd been playing the piano for, for a couple of weeks, the pastor approached me, and he was carrying something. And I, he brought it to me. He said, it's, I noticed that it was a collection of ties, neckties. And uh, back then, I, the way I dress is the way I dress, okay? I, if I wear a tie, People think I look weird because I never wear a tie. And so he brought it to me and said, hey, listen, this is my collection of ties. Why don't you take them home with you? And next 
pick out a couple of ties, and next week you can come and dress appropriately when you're playing the piano. Uh, you can be a good example to the congregation. Um, now, some of you might be saying, amen, brother, I like that. But back then and even today, I don't hold that conviction. I, and the number one, two reasons I don't hold that conviction is because, number one, Jesus Christ never wore a necktie. I mean, if you know that picture of him like knocking on the door? If I put a necktie on him, you would think that was blasphemous. People would think that was blasphemous. But he didn't wear a necktie, and the scriptures do not command us to wear them, and it, they don't forbid us to wear them. And so this is what was called a disputable matter, and I did not hold that conviction at the time. And so I had three choices. Number one, I could submit to this pastor's uh, authority and his desire uh, to, for me to wear a necktie. Number two, I could refuse and say, I've got rights, you know, I don't have to do that, and I'm just going to step down from playing the piano, and then we will all just have to sing a cappello. Or number three, I could let our differences divide us, and we could have just left the church. Now, what do you think I should have done? What would you have done? More importantly, what does Scripture say that I should do? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in our passage of, of Romans chapter 14. That's what our passage deals with, how to deal with differing convictions within the church without allowing them to divide and to destroy the work of Christ, of what he's doing within a body. And that's what we're going to plan to discover in chapter 14 of Romans. And if you're taking notes, I have three gospel truths that I want to share that come from this passage. And the first one is this. And this is something we need to understand. If we are going to learn to love one another within the body of Reach Life Church, we will sometimes have disagreements over disputable matters. Sometimes we will have disagreements over disputable matters. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 14. The Apostle Paul writes this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now here he is going to go into what the disagreements are in this particular uh, section of, of Scripture. He says this in verse 2, One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And if you jump down to verse 5, he's going to go into a couple other things that they're having disagreements about. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine. Let's jump down to verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Clearly, in this passage, there are disagreements that are going on in the church over what is called disputable matters. Disputable matters are convictions. They are convictions, and, and, and a lot of times we feel very strongly about them, but they are convictions that do not pertain to salvation. They are convictions that do not uh, deal with core doctrines that you have to believe in order to be a uh, a child of God or a disciple of Jesus, and they are not convictions that deal with the laws of morality that are kind of like embodied in like the, uh, the Ten Commandments. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about uh, other uh, um, areas that we can disagree and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you'll remember, in the church in Rome, it was comprised of both Jews and 
Gentiles, primarily Gentiles. And they, these two groups came from starkly different backgrounds. And for hundreds of years, you'll remember that the Jews had been under strict ceremonial laws, which governed their diet and holy days that they had to keep. And um, these had been deeply, over hundreds of years, ingrained in their psyche and uh, under the Old Covenant. And although they, these Jews had truly come to Jesus, uh, they still felt this need to hold on and to observe certain ceremonial traditions. Um, and back then, the, the church would come together for what was called a common meal. And what appears to be happening is that the Gentiles, who were never under all these dietary laws, would bring meat and wine to these uh, feasts, uh, that could have been sacrificed to idols. And they would just bring it out there, throw it out on the table for everybody to enjoy. Um, they understood, these Gentiles understood that in Jesus, food sacrificed to idols doesn't offend God if you eat it, as long as you're not sacrificing it to idols. It, it's okay to eat the food. But the Jews who had grown up being forbidden to eat meat, and to drink wine that was sacrificed to idols, couldn't bring themselves to just to put it in their mouths because uh, they didn't know if it was polluted. So they played it safe by, in these types of meals, only eating the vegetables that they knew were safe. And you know what's surprising to me in this passage is that Paul calls the Jews, the ones who were stricter, the ones that were more disciplined, more self-controlled, as being the weak ones, the ones that were weak in their faith, not the Gentiles who were rightly free to eat anything. So we have these two groups here in this passage. And, you know, when Paul says that someone was weak in their faith, he's not saying that, you know, they're barely saved, in Je- they barely believe in Jesus, they, they, they don't trust him, or that they, they are not really concerned about pleasing Jesus. You know, a lot of times people who are the most strict and disciplined in their lives that's their, their motive really is to, to honor and to please God. So he's not saying that they're not true believers or they're weak in their faith in that way. He's saying that these believers lack a level of, uh, of understanding, that they lack a level of maturity about certain do's and don'ts. And so their consciences won't allow them to participate in certain activities. Actually, uh, their consciences require them to do certain things that they don't have to do. They are stricter than they have to be, basically, if you want to just make it real simple. You know, I was thinking about this and what this would be like. Um, I think it's kind of like, imagine yourself if you were out in the backwoods, um, back country. I don't mean out here on the Blue Ridge Parkway or up at the Biltmore House. I'm talking about out in Montana, where you're, there's nobody around for miles and miles. And imagine you look up and you see a grizzly bear, a 15-foot tall grizzly bear. Now, I'm not talking about like in Asheville where you see this cute little black bear digging in the trash. If you've ever been, I've told this story before, but if you've ever been out in the nature and you see a bear out there, you get terrified. It's just, it's amazing what you become. But Imagine that, and you see the bear, and so you're looking around for something to protect you. So you bend over, you find a branch, you pick it up, and right as you pick it up, the bear sees you. But you also see a cabin over here 
in the distance. And inside that cabin, there are people going, come, come to us. We'll save you. We'll protect you. Come on over here. So you make a mad dash holding the stick in your hand and you go and right as the bear is about to get you, they drag you inside. They slam the door, lock it, and you can hear the bear on the outside just clawing at the door. Everybody who's inside the cabin is laughing, is praising God, but you're backing as far away from that door as you can. They've been in that cabin for a while. They've seen that bear before. They know that that bear cannot get in the the cabin, but you don't know that. So you're not going to let go of the the stick, even though they want to take it and put it in the fire, and you're not going anywhere near that door because of the fear of what's on the other side of it. And I think that that's kind of like what the Jews were experiencing. For them to eat meat sacrificed to idols uh, or to uh, give up certain holy days made them uncomfortable. And you know what Paul says about them? He doesn't say they're not saved. He doesn't say to try to change their mind. He says it's okay. It is okay for them to have those views. Sometimes it takes time to understand the freedoms that we have in Christ Jesus. And we should not, and you know, sometimes we may die, if we're going to continue to use the branch, you might die with the branch in your hand and still be saved. So these are disputable matters, and they are, they're found in all churches. They're found in most Christian relationships. I don't know anyone that holds all of my convictions. I don't know many people at all. Kelly and I don't even have hold the exact same convictions. Pastor Terry and I, <laughs> uh, we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? That you, but there's a lot of things we disagree with that are disputable matters. They are convictions that we have about certain topics that God's word does not, and here's what, here's what makes it a disputable matter. It does not clearly require it, and it doesn't clearly forbid it. And um, we may not be able to relate to this um, sacrifice, meat sacrifice to idols, but I'm going to give a few things that maybe we can. For example, alcohol. Scripture, you, we all have a view on alcohol in this room. And Scripture neither forbids or commands us to drink it. We need to, if you study the scriptures, it's very clear. Uh, Jesus turned the water, not into grape juice, into wine, okay? Now, some of you might be going, oh, where is he going with this, okay? Scripture does not forbid it or command it. So, from that, we can deduce that drinking is not wrong for everybody, okay? Now, it is wrong for you if your conscience is bothered by alcohol. There are, there are people that are, love the Lord, and they realize that they are the weaker brother in this. They realize that Scripture does not teach that you cannot drink alcohol, but their conscience, for one reason or, some, one reason or another, won't allow them to drink. So Paul says later on in, chapter, in our chapter, verse 23, that says, he says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you think something is wrong, it is wrong for you in that situation. And don't violate your conscience. Um, It's also wrong to drink alcohol clearly if you get drunk. 
Scripture is very clear about that. How about working on Sunday? Doing physical labor on Sunday. Now listen, I know in the Scriptures that that um, the Scripture does not forbid me to work on Sunday in the yard. But uh, there's many of us in this room that were raised in a culture that you just do not do physical labor on Sunday. You don't mow your yard on Sunday. You don't do work in the beds, uh, uh, flower beds on, uh, on Sunday. And because of that, I can't, I can't mow the, the lawn on Sunday. Not like I really want to, but I couldn't even if I wanted to. Um, I, have a, I know that in this case, I am the weaker brother. You know, the weaker brother doesn't really usually realize they're the weaker brother. Anyway, I'm going to give you a couple more. What about what you wear to church? What you, how you dress on Sunday morning? If I was up here in a tank top and flip-flops and shorts, would that bother you? <laughs> the weaker brother, no, that's the, <laughs> the wiser brother right here. So what about tattoos? If I, one Sunday, came in here with a tatted arm up, you know, what would y'all think? Some of y'all be like, yeah. Some of you be like, man, he gave in, right? Or how about the way we educate our children? Public school, private school, home school. Uh, dating, dating relationships. And within dating relationships, physical boundaries. How far is too far? Uh, the music that we listen to on Sundays. Here's one with the music. What if it's doctrinally sound, like the words are spot on, but we find out that it's written by a church that teaches heresy. Should we still listen to it? Or what if the person that wrote it, we find out later, has fallen away from the Lord? How about the Lord's Supper or communion? Uh, does it have to be? Some people say it has to be real wine because that's what Jesus gave on the, at the uh, first Lord's Supper. Some people have come to our church and think that we, we're wrong because we do it every Sunday instead of quarterly. These are all disputable matters that uh, churches, uh, uh, Christians deal with. And the point that I'm, I'm wanting to get at here is that Christians who love Jesus equally sometimes hold different convictions on disputable matters, and that's okay. But this is my second gospel truth. We need to be aware that these disputable matters can tempt us to divide. We will be tempted at times to divide over these disputable matters. How do I know that? Well, I'm going to look at verse 1 again of our chapter. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. The only reason Paul writes that is because there is a temptation not to welcome that person into your circle. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over their opinions. Not so you can bring them in and show them the truth and grab that stick out of their hand and get them to touch the door and say, see, it's, everything's fine. That's, that's not the reason that we are to do that. Now, he's going to address in verse 3 both of these parties. Let's look at verse 3. He says, let not the one who eats... He's speaking to the stronger and more mature believer. Don't let him, him despise the one who abstains. That is the weaker brother. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And here's the reason we should not judge or despise our brother. It says, for God has welcomed 
him. God is not despising that brother or sister. God is not judging that brother or sister, so we should not. God loves them. God has accepted them. And you know what? I don't think what I just shared is something that you, you guys don't know. You knew that. You know that we're supposed to love our brothers because God loves us. But even though we know this, disputable matters still have a way of dividing us. Now, in the worst case scenario, a disputable matter will cause someone to just to totally leave the congregation. Um, in, in times that they really don't need to, they could stay within the, the congregation. But there's other times that within the church, there can be divisions. There can become factions. There can become these cliques where you just hang out with people who um, educate kids the way you do, or they dress the way that you do, or they use the translation that you think is the one that should be used. We can have divisions and still be under the same roof in the same body. If you're taking notes under, underneath this section, there's two things I want you to write down. Number one is that the weak in faith, Paul is pointing out here that the weak in faith will be tempted to judge the strong. They're going to be tempted to look at the freedoms of others and just go, mm i got to warn them that they're walking in sin and that they are displeasing to God. And then there's the second thing is that the strong, the mature in faith, because they know that what they're doing isn't wrong, they are going to be tempted to despise the weak uh, and see them as being overly strict and legalistic and confining. I don't have anything to do with, with that person. And when it comes to the weak and judging others, um, this, is, this is one of the most misunderstood teachings about judging um, in Scripture. Just go to your friends at school who don't believe in Jesus or your coworkers or maybe a family member and tell them, hey, you know, if you don't come to Jesus and put your faith in him, you, you can't be forgiven of your sins, that you're headed for hell. Tell them that. And... <laughs> And what, is, what's, what are many people going to say if, if, if you say that? They're going to say, who, who do you think you are, Mr. Holier-than-thou, telling me that I'm wrong, that I'm headed in the wrong direction? I mean, even your Jesus said this. He said in Matthew 7, judge not, what? Lest ye be judged. Most people know that verse. It, it is the most misquoted and misinterpreted passage I believe, in the Bible. And when Scripture teaches us not to judge, it's not saying that we should never judge and discern between right and wrong or to correct someone if they are headed in the wrong direction or if they're living in sin, especially within the church, especially with brothers and sisters. We need to love each other in that. And, uh, you know, wasn't that that Jesus' primary ministry when he came to earth, part of his primary ministry? He came to a rebellious people who were headed in the wrong direction, and he turned us, we were those rebellious people, and he turned us, he corrected us and said, you're headed in the wrong direction, and he turned us to his kingdom of light. And then, and then another example of this would be in Galatians chapter 2, when the apostle Paul goes to the apostle Peter, because Peter has, uh, he used to eat with Gentiles, he used to hang out with the lowly, but then these Jews come into town, and he's like, man, I, this doesn't look very impressive. So Peter withdraws from the Gentiles so he can look good with the Jews, and he leads a lot of people away, and the scriptures say that Paul went to him, 
to his face in public and rebuked him and said, you are not living according to the gospel. He corrected him out of love. And so there are times when we need, listen, church, and this is something I think we need to learn to, we need to grow in. Uh, We need to learn how to love one another and speak truth uh, at times because sometimes we're just too afraid to ever say anything when we should. But we need to, to learn to love people enough to do the hard thing and to speak truth in love and to make righteous judgments. Let's just be clear that God is not prohibiting that kind of judging. Rather, when Paul tells the weak brother not to judge, what he means is don't condemn others Don't condemn others just because they don't hold your personal disputable convictions. It's okay for you to have them, but don't give your personal preferences biblical authority. And, you know, we're all tempted to do that. The things that we like or that we see, somehow we think that's what God likes, that's what everyone needs to see. If we live, if we're not careful and we let a disputable matter become scripture, it will divide the church. Now, that's what he says to the weak, to the strong, he turns, Paul turns to them and he says, don't, listen, those of you who know, who are more mature, don't despise the weak. Don't look down on them because they are immature in some areas, because they're not seeing things clearly. And you know, Honestly, I'm okay. I'm often okay um, when people have different standards than me, different convictions. I'm actually okay when I see someone have a stricter conviction. It can make me go, man, I wish I could be more like that or, or whatever. I'm okay with that, and I think you're okay with that probably as long as you're not feeling judged by that person, as long as they're not kind of looking down on you in a matter that you know I'm not required to do that, or I can do that. And I was in a, that same church that I, that I started the message with. Um, we were in a Bible study, and as I said earlier, it was a, they had a specific translation, an authorized translation that they uh, held out and said, this is the one that you have to be saved in. And I didn't really realize that when we entered the church. But anyway, I'm sitting in there with my NAS, and I think Kelly had the NIV, the not... Uh, uh, inspired version uh, in there. I'm kidding. I I think NIV is a great... um, Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so we're going around the the circle reading verse by verse. Each person's reading a verse. And when it came to me and Kelly, we read from our translations, and you could just see, you could just feel something. Something's wrong here. We did something wrong. And the next week and the week after that and the week after that, we were never asked to read again from our Bibles. And I'm okay. It's okay to have a a translation. Uh, Our church doesn't have a like an official one, but we preach primarily out of the ESV. But we don't we don't say that that is the only translation. And I'm I'm okay with that. But the problem that I was feeling in that situation is I felt judged, like I had done something wrong. And that's in me tempted me to kind of despise that type of uh, my brothers and sisters who are in Christ. And so the point, again, what I'm trying to get at is we we need to guard ourselves because disputable matters can tempt us to judge and they can tempt us to despise one another. But I want to end on this last gospel truth, assuring us that 
in Christ, unity is possible. In Christ, unity is possible. There is no need for us to to divide, and there's no need for us to have weak relationships over disputable matters if we'll remember three things. Number one, and this goes under this um, gospel truth. Number one, if we will remember, and I italicized Jesus, remember that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? That's pretty sober, isn't it? Who are you? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord, not you, the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. You guys see a pattern here? It's to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now look at verse 9. This is the one that uh, really informs what I'm trying to bring out here. For to this end, Christ died. You could put for our sins and lived again. He rose from the dead. Why? That he might be Lord, both of the living, uh, both of the dead and of the living. The point is that Jesus is Lord, not me. I'm not your Lord, not you. He alone lived the perfect life, the perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice perfect life of love and obedience before God so that he could die. He alone could die for our sins. He alone was worthy to be raised from the dead. Therefore, he alone has earned the right to be the Lord of the living and the dead. And you know, all of us, if you are truly in Christ, there came a point in your life where you said, you know what? I'm done. My life is no longer mine. I no longer want to be the Lord of my life. I am surrendering my life to you. So Jesus, uh, when it comes to tattoos, when it comes to my diet, when it comes to the choices of my entertainment, the way I dress, my life, I will live for you. If I live, I'll live for you. If I die, I will die for you. My life is yours, Jesus, to do with as you will. That's what it looks like when we're fully surrendered to Jesus, when we fully get that he is Lord. And so unity is possible if we will remember that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, it is possible if we will remember that we will all be judged 
by the Lord. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all, for we will all stand before the Lord. I'm sorry. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord. If the Lord says something, it is true. It will happen. Look at what he says. He says, every knee shall bow to me. That's, that means everyone who has put their faith in Jesus will bow their knee, and even the atheist and everything in between, every person, every soul will bow before the Lord and confess to God. That should motivate us, shouldn't it, church, to share the gospel, to help people to see what we've seen so that in this life they can come to Christ and that their day of judgment before the Lord will be a day of rejoicing. Verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The best way that I know to live my life is backwards. Go to the judgment seat of Christ. How do you want, when you're standing before the Lord, how do you want to know that you have in, invested what God has put into your life? What has he given to you? What has he entrusted to you? I want to be able to present it to him knowing that I lived and died for him. Unity is possible if we will remember that Jesus is Lord, if we will remember that we will be judged by the Lord, and thirdly, if we will remember that genuine love, and I put the word genuine there on purpose because love is one of those words that is used in our culture wrongly, but that genuine love involves or requires sacrifice. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. See, Paul is right here. He's, he's siding with the strong, okay? He's, he's agreeing. I know that that food, there's nothing wrong with that food. But he says, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. There, there goes back to the, if your conscience won't let you do it, don't, don't violate your conscience. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now again, Paul is talking to the strong. He's talking to the mature. And he's saying this, put away... There's a certain mindset you've got to put away, those of you who are mature in Christ, those of you who can see things clearly in certain areas. Here's the thing you got, here's the mindset you've got to put away. And that is, if it's not wrong, then I'm free to do it. And I don't care what the weak people are dealing with. They just need to get over it. That's the mind, that is not the mindset of Christ, is it? And that's the mindset we can have sometimes. It's okay. They're the ones that have the problem. You know, the weak, a weak mindset is this. I've got, my, I've got rights, and I'm going to exercise them. The strong mindset says, I have rights that I am willing to lay down in order to love and honor, first and foremost, the Lord. Secondly, to honor and love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 19, Paul goes on to say, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. 
Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith, now look at this. It says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. What he's saying here is, look, in this, let's use this feast for an example. Don't bring meat. If you know that it's going to cause divisions in the church, just don't eat the meat there. Do it at home. Do it in, uh, between you and God. You know it's not wrong, but your brother doesn't or your sister doesn't, and it could destroy them. They could actually go, well, they're eating it, so I'm going to eat it, and they're actually going to violate their conscience, and it will destroy what Paul is saying, the work of God amongst the body. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts, here he says it again, is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Again, genuine love is marked by sacrifice. And it is those who are mature, those who are strong, who are called to lay down their lives, to lay down their preferences, to lay down their rights, and to welcome in those who are weak. In other words, to wear a necktie and play the piano if that is going to bless the body, uh, to refrain from eating or drinking or doing anything in front of someone uh, who might be offended by it. And what's our motivation? What's our motivation to die for the weak? We learned about it several months in Romans 5. It says, for while we were still weak, the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, the strong. That is, Jesus died for us, the weak. And therefore, church, we should do the same for one another. Amen? Amen.